0: This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of metacarpal fractures from the hand section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Metacarpal fractures are the most common hand injury and are divided into fractures of head, neck, or shaft. Diagnosis is made by orthogonal radiographs of the hand. Treatment is based on which metacarpal is involved, location of the fracture, and the rotation-slash-angulation of the injury. Now let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, as far as incidence, metacarpal fractures account for 40% of all hand injuries. In terms of demographics, men aged 10 to 29 have the highest incidence of metacarpal injuries. In terms of anatomic location, the metacarpal neck is the most common site of fracture, and the fifth metacarpal is most commonly injured. Moving on to etiology, in terms of mechanism of injury, metacarpal fractures can be secondary to a direct blow to the hand or rotational injury with axial load. High-energy injuries, for example automobile accidents, may result in multiple fractures. With respect to associated conditions, know that wounds may indicate open fractures or concomitant soft tissue injury. These can include tendon lacerations and or neurovascular injury. Other associated conditions can include compartment syndrome, which you should be suspicious of in the setting of closed injuries with multiple fractures or dislocations, and in the setting of crush injuries. Now let's go over some relevant anatomy. We'll go over metacarpal anatomy and insertional anatomy. So starting with metacarpal anatomy, the metacarpal is concave on the palmar surface. The first, fourth, and fifth digits form mobile borders. The second and third digits form a stiffer central pillar. The index metacarpal is the most firmly fixed while the thumb metacarpal articulates with the trapezium and acts independently from the others. Three palmar and four dorsal interossei muscles arise from the metacarpal shafts. Moving on to insertional anatomy, the ones to know include the extensor carpi radialis longus slash brevis, the extensor carpi ulnaris, the abductor pollicis longus, the opponent's pollicis, and the opponent's digiti minimi. The extensor carpi radialis longus slash brevis insert on the base of the second metacarpal and the third metacarpal respectively, and assist with wrist extension and radial flexion of the wrist. The extensor carpi ulnaris inserts on the base of the fifth metacarpal and extends as well as fixes the wrist when the digits are being flexed. Note that the extensor carpi ulnaris also assists with ulnar flexion of the wrist. The abductor pollicis longus inserts on the trapezium and the base of the first metacarpal. It abducts the thumb in the frontal plane and extends the thumb at the carpal-metacarpal joint. The opponent's pollicis inserts on the first metacarpal. It flexes the first metacarpal to oppose the thumb to the fingertips. Finally, moving on to the opponent's digiti minimi, this inserts on the medial surface of the fifth metacarpal. It flexes the fifth metacarpal at the carpal-metacarpal joint when the little finger is moved into opposition with the tip of the thumb, and this deepens the palm of the hand. Moving on to the presentation of metacarpal fractures, on physical exam, be sure to inspect for open wounds and associated injuries. Fight wounds over the MCP joint are open until proven otherwise. The extensor tendon can be lacerated and retracted. Dorsal wounds over the metacarpal fractures are almost always open fractures. Remember that deformity indicates location, so deformity at the metacarpal base may indicate a CMC dislocation. Shortening can be assessed by comparing the contralateral hand. Note that this may be prevented by transverse intermetacarpal ligaments in isolated fractures of the third or fourth metacarpal shafts. Malrotation is assessed by lining up the fingernail in partial flexion and full flexion if possible, and then comparing to the contralateral side. Moving on to motor examination, there's typically no motor deficits unless open wounds are present. Be sure to check the integrity of the flexor slash extensor tendons in the presence of open wounds. Finally, with respect to neurovascular examination, know that dorsal wounds may affect the dorsal sensory branch of the radial slash ulnar nerve, and volar wounds can involve the digital nerves. Moving on to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include a PA, lateral, external rotation oblique, and internal rotation oblique. The external rotation oblique is the best view to see a fourth slash fifth CMC fracture slash dislocation. An internal rotation oblique is the best view to see a second slash third CMC fracture slash dislocation. Optional views include a Brewerton view and a Roberts view. The Brewerton view is the best view to see metacarpal head fractures while the Roberts view is the best view to see a thumb CMC fracture slash dislocation. Finally, moving on to a CT, indications include inconclusive radiographs of a CMC fracture slash dislocation, multiple CMC dislocations, and complex metacarpal head fractures. The diagnosis of a metacarpal fracture is confirmed by history, physical exam, and radiographs. As far as general treatment of metacarpal fractures, this can be non-operative or operative. Non operative management includes immobilization, and this is indicated for stable fracture patterns with no rotational deformity, as well as fracture patterns that have acceptable angulation and shortening. Now let's go over the acceptable non operative criteria in terms of acceptable shaft angulation, acceptable shaft shortening, and acceptable neck angulation. So, with respect to metacarpal fractures of the index and long finger, acceptable shaft angulations include 10 to 20 degrees acceptable shaft shortening includes two to five millimeters while acceptable neck angulation is 10 to 15 degrees with respect to the ring finger acceptable shaft angulation is 30 degrees acceptable shaft shortening is also two to five millimeters and acceptable neck angulation is 30 to 40 degrees finally with respect to the little finger acceptable shaft angulation includes 40 degrees acceptable shaft shortening is two to five millimeters and acceptable neck angulation is 50 to 60 degrees. General indications for operative treatment include open fracture, intraarticular fractures, rotational malalignment of the digit, significantly displaced or angulated fractures, multiple metacarpal shaft fractures, and loss of inherent stability from the border digit during the healing process. As far as post-operative considerations, know that early motion is critical, and be sure to remove the pins and the cast at approximately 4 weeks. Now let's talk about the specific treatment for metacarpal head fractures. Operative options include ORIF, external fixation, MCP arthroplasty, and MCP fusion. Starting with ORIF, as far as indications, know that no degree of articular displacement is acceptable, and therefore a majority of metacarpal head fractures require surgical fixation. External fixation is indicated in the setting of severely comminuted fractures. MCP arthroplasty is also indicated for severely comminuted fractures, and an MCP fusion is indicated for arthritis as late disease. As far as the surgical technique for an ORIF, the approach will be with a dorsal incision and either centrally split the extensor apparatus or release and repair the sagittal band. As far as fixation, know that the hardware cannot protrude from the joint surface. Be sure to fix with multiple small screws in the collateral recess, headless screws or K-wires. Know that the ideal fixation should allow for early motion. Complications include stiffness which is the most common complication and this is prevented with early motion. Now let's talk about the treatment of metacarpal shaft fractures. Non-operative options include immobilization, which is indicated in the setting of a non-displaced metacarpal neck fracture, acceptable angulation as we previously discussed, and in the setting of no malrotation. Be sure to immobilize the MCP joints in 70-90 to degrees of flexion and cast for 4 weeks. Operative options include open reduction internal fixation versus closed reduction and percutaneous pinning. Indications include open fractures, unacceptable angulation, any malrotation, and multiple fractures. As far as surgical techniques, let's go over closed reduction percutaneous pinning, open reductions with lag screws, and open reduction with dorsal plating. So starting with closed reduction and percutaneous pinning, first place the pin antegrade through the metacarpal base or retrograde through the collateral recess, and then remove the pins at 4 weeks. As far as open reductions with a lag screw, you can use multiple lag screws for long spiral fractures, and remember try to get at least 2 lag screws. Finally, moving on to open reduction with dorsal plating, this works best for transverse fractures. Try to cover the plate with the periosteum to prevent tendon irritation, and begin early motion to prevent tendon irritations. Finally, moving on to the treatment of metacarpal neck fractures, non-operative options include reduction and casting. This is indicated for acceptable degrees of apex dorsal angulation. Indications include acceptable degrees of apex dorsal angulation as we previously mentioned. You will immobilize the MCP joints in these patients in 70-90 to degrees of flexion, leaving the PIP joints free. You can cast for 4 weeks, and remember that you can reduce these injuries using the JAWS technique, that is 90 degrees of MCP flexion, dorsal pressure through the proximal phalanx while stabilizing the metacarpal shaft. Operative options include reduction and fixation. Indications include unacceptable angulation, open fractures, any malrotation, and intraarticular fractures. The technique for metacarpal fractures include closed reduction percutaneous pinning with the MCPs flexed and ORIF. Closed reduction percutaneous pinning with the MCPs flexed include antegrade through the metacarpal base and retrograde through the collateral recess. ORIF can be performed if you cannot get a reduction for a closed reduction percutaneous pinning. Keep in mind that these fractures are difficult to plate because there is limited bone for distal fixation. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. After losing an arm wrestling match, an enraged orthopedic resident punches a wall and has immediate pain and swelling about his dominant right hand. His co-resident examines his hand under fluoroscopy and identifies an ulnar fracture dislocation at the CMC joint. There's also shortening of the ulnar two metacarpals. A lateral radiograph shows an ulnar fracture dislocation at the CMC joint, and the metacarpals are dislocated dorsally. The muscle responsible for the primary deforming force in this injury is innervated by which nerve? And the choices are one, anterior interosseous nerve, or AIN, two, radial nerve, three, posterior interosseous nerve, or PIN, four, ulnar nerve, and five, extensor branch of the ulnar nerve. The correct answer to this question is 3, posterior interosseous nerve, or PIN. So the patient has sustained a 4th and 5th metacarpal joint or CMC joint dorsal fracture dislocation with an associated dorsal hamate fracture. The 5th metacarpal is displaced dorsally and proximally by the pull of the extensor carpi ulnaris or ECU, which inserts on the base of the 5th metacarpal and is innervated by the PIN. CMC joint fracture dislocations are often missed on initial presentation. Radiographs should be carefully scrutinized for shortening of the metacarpals on the AP view. On the lateral view, metacarpal base subluxation or small fragments of the hamate may be present dorsally. Reduction is typically obtained with a local block, wrist extension, and pressure over the base of the metacarpal. Reduction may often then be maintained within a well-molded splint. However, with more extensive joint involvement or soft tissue disruption, maintenance of reduction by closed means may be difficult and unreliable. Moreover, cases in which there is delayed presentation or those which do not stay reduced following closed reduction and splinting require percutaneous fixation or potentially even open with internal fixation. Zhang et al. evaluated the management of 20 patients presenting with acute and 6 patients presenting with chronic ulnar CMC joint fracture dislocations. All of those who received acute treatment were successfully managed conservatively with reduction and splinting. However, 50%, or 3 of 6 of the injuries, treated in a delayed fashion failed conservative management and necessitated operative stabilization. The authors concluded that early reduction was paramount in avoiding surgical intervention and attaining the best outcomes. Germain et al. reviewed 16 cases of 4th-5th and 23 cases of 5th-CMC joint fracture dislocations. The authors managed all cases with reduction and percutaneous pinning. They found that the two cohorts had comparable DASH scores and functional outcomes. The authors concluded that reduction of the ulnar CMC joint consistently resulted in excellent outcomes at one-year follow-up. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, anterior interosseous nerve, or AIN, innervates the deep flexors, but not the extensors. Answer 2, radial nerve, is incorrect as the radial nerve innervates the ECRL, but the remainder of the extensors are innervated by the PIN answer 4, ulnar nerve is incorrect as the ulnar nerve innervates the FDP to the ulnar two digits as well as intrinsic muscles in the hand but not the ECU. And finally answer 5, extensor branch of the ulnar nerve is incorrect as there is not a nerve by this name. And moving on to the final question, a 27 year old female sustains a shortened oblique fracture of the fourth metacarpal shaft. She's treated non-operatively with splint mobilization. At follow-up, she is found to have an extension lag at the metacarpal-phalangeal or MCP joint along with reduced grip strength. Which finding is the most significant contributor to this outcome? And the choices are 1. Rotational deformity 2. 15-degree apex dorsal angulation 3. Nonunion 4. 5mm of shortening and 5. Extensor tendonitis The correct answer to this question is for 5 mm of shortening. So shortening of metacarpal fractures greater than 2 to 5 mm may result in extension lag at the MCP joint, as well as reduced grip strength due to loss of tension on the extensor mechanism. Indications for non-operative treatment of metacarpal shaft fractures with splint or cast immobilization include stable fracture pattern, no rotational deformity, and acceptable angulation. The amount of acceptable angulation differs for each metacarpal, that is 10 to 20 degrees for index and long fingers. 30 degrees for ring fingers, and 40 degrees for small fingers. Strauch et al. performed a cadaveric study quantifying the magnitude of MCP extensor lag produced by metacarpal shortening. The authors found that every 2 mm of metacarpal shortening resulted in an average of 7 degrees of extensor lag at the MCP joint. al et al. prospectively reviewed conservative management of spiral-slash-long oblique fractures of the metacarpal shaft treated with palmar wrist splinting. Extension lag was initially seen in all digits, but recovered by one year. Grip strength at one year was also found to be 94% of the contralateral hand. The author's indications for surgery included severe angulation with failure of closed reduction, rotational malalignment, and significant displacement with loss of bone-to-bone contact. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, rotational deformity is incorrect, as any amount of rotational deformity is an indication for surgical intervention, but rotation would not result in an extension lag. Answer 2, 15-degree apex dorsal angulation is incorrect as angulation may result in hyperextension of the MCP and an extension lag of the PIP. Finally, answer 3, nonunion and answer 5, extensor tendonitis are both incorrect as nonunion and tendonitis are rare and would not result in an extension lag. That's all for this review about metacarpal fractures. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets Podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.